Hello and welcome to another Expert Insights show. Each show, your host Donna Hansen interviews an expert on the latest trends, ideas, philosophies and approaches that impact on productivity, performance and profit both in business and personally. And now, here's your host, Donna Hansen. Hi, I'm Donna Hansen. In this Expert Insights episode, we speak with Jennifer Einolf. Jennifer is a clarity coach who works with clients to navigate through her prospects of possibility transformation keys to realize their boldest possible future. She's a Newfield Network trained, now I'm hoping I pronounced this correctly, ontological coach. I want to find out exactly what that, that means, but I love her philosophy of the world is busy telling you what's wrong and trying to sell you their solution to your deficit. And she believes, I don't think you're deficient, you're amazing. I'm offering to partner with you, gifting the world with a fire hose of your wonderfulness. I just so love that. Hi, Jennifer, and welcome. Hi, thank you. It's so nice to be here. Before we start, I've got to get this question out of the way. What is an ontological coach? And did I say it right? You said it absolutely correctly. So it's a big word, but what an ontological coach does is we look at being and doing. And so we have all had this experience that we take an action and we get a result we don't like. And so we take another action and uh, we get the same bad result, but it was a different action. So what's going on? So ontological coaching is about understanding that it's the way we see the world that impacts what we even think is possible, and that impacts what actions we take, and that impacts the results we get. So I work with my clients to go further upstream to habits of language and, and the way we relate to our emotions and even our habits in our body and how that impacts how we see the world and we work towards that aha moment when all of a sudden that thing that's been hiding in plain sight this whole time it's suddenly there and then we figure out how you're going to take advantage of that now you have new possibilities and that's that's basically what ontological coaching is a big word for the fact that in our life we're going through this tumble of being and doing all the time it sounds a bit like what I like to call the BFO, the blinding flash of the obvious. And, and to use the old analogy, you know, sometimes you just can't see the forest for the trees. And I know with my clients I talk a lot about um, sometimes you need a fresh set of eyes to look at something and see something that's right in front of you, the potential that something has. And, and in a lot of instances, and I'm sure we'll get into this, People have probably already done a lot of the hard work. It's just the little pieces that they need tweaking to really lift everything. Absolutely, absolutely. It, this observation that we have of the world, I mean, it comes from everything we are and everything we've learned. And maybe we learned lessons that maybe the conclusion we drew doesn't serve us in this moment. And so how do we, how do we take that and rearrange it a little bit? But yeah, you're not having to remake yourself. Like, like you said in the piece that you quoted from my website, I already think you're amazing. So let's go unleash that. Let's go make that available. Gee, thanks. <laughs> you are amazing. <laughs> so does, does the word ontological, that's going to be fun all, all through our interview, did that come from the Newfield Network or is that a, like, could I go to the dictionary and actually find yeah. that word? It's actually available in the dictionary. No, it's it's... It's the name that they chose for a deeply philosophical approach that they chose to use. And Newfield, the idea is that we need a new field of learning, that what got us here won't get us there, and that the world is in love, has a love affair with answers, 
Yeah. But what really moves us is powerful questions. Yeah. And, so and if this, we, this new field, this new way of looking at it. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, and if we don't ask the right questions, we're never going to get the right answer. But, but you know, um, looking for answers, I guess, is human nature. But um, uh, reverse engineering and thinking about, well, what's the question I'm actually trying to answer? I mean, you know, that that's just too easy to be right, isn't it, Jennifer? <laughs> it's not. So I, I have a background in interior design. And I'm in love with the design cycle. That's a big part of what I do. And the first stage of the design cycle, well, the first stage is that something shows up and it provokes change. You're either answering a challenge or you're rising to an opportunity. But then yeah. you, have to, you have to perceive where am I, what is this question, what, what's in my way, and what is there for me to use. And it's amazing how often we want to jump straight to brainstorming or straight to implementation, and we're not even sure what we're solving for, whether that's a, a group trying to solve a problem or even an individual trying to have something be different in their life. There are questions that will never be answered in our lifetimes, and that doesn't mean they're not valuable questions. And there are questions that if you rush to answer them, you are cutting off all the possibilities. So it's a skill to hold a question, to hold it open for a long time. Because like I said, we are, we are trained that we are responsible for having answers like that. We're trained in school, we're trained by our bosses, we're trained by the world. We value people who have the ready answer. But philosophers know that the real value comes from holding a question exactly the right amount of time mm. before you demand an answer. I, I, I love that. And uh, it's, um, it reminds me of something my husband says, which um, we talk about how uh, technology in particular has changed how we accept and what we accept as, as speed speed to solution, speed to market. And he jokes that, you know, now we're so impatient, two-minute noodles take too long. <laughs> <laughs> that is definitely true. I have a 19-year-old, and he does not have two minutes. <laughs> he just does not have two minutes. And, and yeah, I, absolutely. And I think the other thing, too, is um, we're so pressurized uh, and conditioned to fast, fast, fast is good, but sometimes that can be to the detriment of creativity and considering all opportunities. Absolutely, and, and you know, circling back to that flash of the the patently obvious. Yeah, that's where the mistakes happen. It's it's that we think we know or that we think we're supposed to know. These are enemies of learning. If you think you're already supposed to know, or if you think that you already do know. Where's the space to put any new learning? There's absolutely none. So, yeah, sometimes it takes time to go fast. That, yeah. that if you're really going to do the thing that's going to move you forward, you invest the time here so that it looks like incredible lightning speed once everybody notices what's happening. Absolutely. But the investment's there, yeah. The overnight sensation that took 20 <laughs> years. That's 20 years. Yep, exactly. So you mentioned a design background, Jennifer. Can you give me sort of the, you know, the fast track journey, <laughs> the two-minute <laughs> sure, journey absolutely. of how you came to be where you are today? Because you, you mentioned design, interior design, and and now you're an ontological coach. Uh, how did that progression happen? Because I'm not necessarily seeing a straight line between one to the other. Yeah, it seems like apples and oranges, doesn't it? Well, honestly, what happened, I, I was a commercial interior designer. I worked on uh, 
hospitals and universities and large corporate projects, and I loved it. I really enjoyed it. But I realized there were two components to the work that I did, one that I absolutely adored and one that I wasn't too fond of. So I got really curious about, well, what other career has the part I like and maybe not the part that I don't? And the part that I loved was a client would come with a problem and a solution in their hands and say, I have this problem and I need you to solve it this way. And we would listen. We would listen deeply and we would, we would believe everything they told us. And then we would get super curious about what else is true, what else is possible. That's coaching. It's, it's this idea that you're honoring the story. You're honoring that the person came from somewhere and understands the, the problem in this, in this way. But that by asking questions and looking at it from a variety of perspectives, we can discover what else is true. So I tell people that I went from exterior interior design to interior interior design. The same principles of honoring your story but not buying it entirely and getting super curious. It, it's the same, the same process, and it's deeply, deeply satisfying to be doing it the way I'm doing it right now. And I think the added value that you bring just based on your story is the fact that um, it's not a um, it's a it's not a logical necessarily perspective. It's coming from creative insight. So there's a balance of logic with creativity, and often that's something that's lacking in traditional coaching. There's maybe here's the process. This is the process that we follow, um, and it's your fault if you don't get the outcome you want. But it sounds like it's more holistic and taking into account so many other influences and factors rather than just being cut and dried. Absolutely. It's a partnership. Partnerships exist because the two people in the partnership can get more done in that relationship than they could ever get done alone. And so it's not all on you or all on me. I'm not there to tell you what to do. How could I possibly know what the solution is for your life? But I'm also not there to somehow just witness you coming up with your own solution. It's this partnership, and it is holistic, and it comes from this place of bringing everything that you are inherently, innately from birth, whatever that is, and marrying it to everything you've learned and then bringing my presence and my curiosity and figuring out what else is true, what else is possible. And it, it is, it's bigger than just any prescriptive program. I, I've had clients tell me that they hired me because they had a lot of people telling them that they could get them where they wanted to go and here are the steps and here's what I did. And there's value in that. There's value in learning from what other people have learned in their path to their destination but that's not coaching necessarily. That's prescriptive. And that, that can be very damaging to someone who's busy figuring out their contribution, that the one that only they can make and how they're going to do it. And that's why it's important that this includes the whole person. And I think, too, um, when we think about where we want to go, we often think of it from a linear perspective. We don't necessarily think about the, the ebbs and flows because we don't want to think about them, right? We just, we're just so impatient. We want to get from here to here, and we want to get there in two minutes or less. That's right. That's right. And that's why the design cycle, it's really more of a spiral. It's this idea that something shows up, and we're going to respond to it. We're going to perceive where we are, what is the real question, how are we understanding the world, how are we understanding our possibilities. And then we're going to prepare. What, how do we prepare for success? How do we run little beta tests before we do a full implementation? How do we get ourselves lined up? And then we do implementation. And then there's this step that everyone forgets. This is the design cycle. Did it work? 
what did we learn? Because that informs the next trip around the cycle. And so, you know, improvement is really a spiral. I, I learned that when I had a little kid in the house and he's sleeping through the night. This is great. And then he would circle back around and all of a sudden he's not sleeping through the night again. Well, it's different this time, but it's a revisiting the same set of issues and he's just getting better every loop. It's the same thing with us. We are on a spiral of, of growth, which means we're going to go higher and we're going to grow deep, grow in, in depth of wisdom and in, and in skills and all of the experience. But it's not this linear from here to there. And, and often it involves a plateau. You get, you get to spend a little more time on one rung of that spiral because that's where the mastery happens, all of those things. And sometimes it's an accelerated zoom up three or four levels, and that's awesome too. But that's an important point, that we do have this impatient, linear view of how improvement looks. And it's, it's really not in alignment with how improvement actually works. And, and I think, too, um, one of the important things that people forget, well, there's two things. The first thing is the journey along the way. You know, the person that we become as a result of all these um, awarenesses and insights because it really helps us, you know, in a process perspective, it helps us move forward with whatever it is we're trying to achieve, but also it creates personal growth because you can't be the same person at this end as you were at the other end, but you need to know the person you want to be when you get here and you also need to review when you get there. So you, you talked about how, um, you know, often people don't look back at what worked and what didn't. You know, they're too busy going next, next, tick the box, move on to the next yeah. thing, aren't they? Yeah, and, and it's also, conversely, it's the source of feeling like you're not enough. Because the dirty little secret is when you start something new that you've never done before, guess what? You're not enough. You're absolutely right. And that doesn't matter. That's not the point. The point is that you have an ability to learn. You have the skills that you've gained to that point. You have community of people around you to help you're resilient. Those are the reasons you're enough, not because you're suddenly an expert at this thing you're setting out to do. It isn't until you go up a couple of rungs that you're suddenly enough for what you set out to do. And guess what? Now you're not enough for the next thing. Yay, you get to grow. It's, it's, it's really interesting. And, we, and so often I hear people letting, stopping themselves, letting that stop them when they say, oh, I'm not enough. Well, of course you're not enough. Were you, were you enough to do your senior paper when you were a freshman? Were you enough to do the job you had at the end of your tenure career when you were straight out? It, it's, it's such an interesting conundrum that people place themselves in, and it's the converse of what you're talking about, that the growth is the juice. The, the, the journey is the point. You're spending a lot of time on the journey and a moment celebrating the achievement. Shouldn't you be appreciating the journey since that's where you're spending most of your life? It, yeah, I think that's true. And it doesn't mean that it's always easier that every part of it is excruciatingly pleasant because it's not. But in balance, that's where the juice is. It's in the journey. Absolutely. Now, I, I know when we spoke uh, off air, um, you said something to me that really piqued my interest about having this conversation. And that was the concept of making bigger promises to scarier people. It got me curious, what does that mean? So let, let's talk about that concept, making bigger promises to scarier people. Absolutely. So about 10 years ago, I found a quote by Eleanor Roosevelt, and I willfully misinterpreted the quote. I have no idea what the original quote was. But what I heard was, if something scares you, it's a signal. And as long as it's not going to instantly kill you or 
land you in jail that evening, you pretty much have to do it. And so fear went from a thing that stopped me to a permission to go do the things. Now, obviously, I use some discernment about which kinds of fear, but it was, it was a propellant. And then a couple of years ago, I kind of got to the next level of this concept, and that was I have to make bigger promises to scarier people. That's how I'm going to get bigger. That's how I'm going to go learn how to be enough. And so I started to do that. I started to apply that sense of I have to do this to some of the people that intimidate me or people who the I'm not enough thing showed up and, oh, what are they going to, why are they going to want to talk to me? And, oh, if I make this promise, how am I going to fulfill it? So making offers that led to promises to scarier people. And just like the enough conversation that we just have, it's really interesting who scares me now. Because a lot of the people who scared me three years ago, some of them are friends, some of them are clients, some of them I've had great conversations with. So it's, it, it also is a spiral of reaching for the people that at some point have my attention, have my stomach fluttering a little bit, the thought of being in the room with them or talking to them, and especially the thought of in some way making a promise to them that I'm going to be of service in some way. It's it's been an amazing ride. It's been an absolutely amazing ride, and it's and it's led me. I keep an aspirational contact list. I keep a list of people that I mention to my friends occasionally, or I put out there. Like, does anybody know anybody who knows so and so? And and having that list, it's it's a way of uh, being able to instantly visualize who my scarier people are. But honestly, some of them I don't know who they are yet. I just know that when I'm in the room with them, I'm going to have that flutter in my stomach. And thanks to Eleanor, I'm going to have to talk to them. <laughs> it's just the way it is. So, so from a business perspective, you know, mm-hmm. uh, for people that might be listening or watching or, or whatever, um, that could be, you know, that, that client that they've aspired to work with or um, a joint venture partner that they've just gone on. Oh, no, that, I, they're too big. I don't think they'd want to consider something with me. What's the worst that can happen, right? Right. And I, I've had experiences where I thought someone wouldn't want to, little old me, my business at this level, whatever it was. And, and in one particular case I was thinking of, this person had worked with some, I, this is a client that I work with, with communication, with clarity, with their audiences. And this is someone who's regularly on stages in front of tens of thousands of people. Scary. Um, and, and he, I, I wasn't thinking that I would even make an offer because I knew he was working with a really big name person in New York and he came and talked to me and he said I appreciate the way you are I love the way you instruct and I want somebody local and I want somebody that I can actually talk to you I don't want to be in a room with a scarier person was basically what he was saying and we were able to forge a relationship a really great working relationship that's been going on for three years now because he didn't want to go and be impressive. He wanted a relationship with his coach. He wanted to feel comfortable. And so the size I was at the time was exactly what he was looking for. Who knew? Who knew? So they see something in you that you don't necessarily even understand you're putting out there, and it's not the metric you think they're using to evaluate you. That That's really important and really interesting because um, – you know, it's it's our perception what we see in others, isn't it? But often the story that they're telling themselves internally can be very different uh, and and they're not always congruent and they don't need to be congruent, I guess, but ideally you want them to be authentic. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Authenticity is so important in living in integrity. I've had several experiences recently where I've gone to take advantage of somebody's offer, well, not take advantage, 
accept I somebody's understand. offer. I'm trying to not use that phrase. I don't like that I phrase. Accept. <laughs> accept somebody's offer. And when I've gotten into the experience, it wasn't what I was promised or my radar's pinging that maybe this person isn't living completely in integrity. And I'm, I've realized I, I, that's not where I want to be. I want to be with people. We talk about authenticity and some people wield it like a weapon, but honestly, you don't even have to have the same values as me, but if you're living to your values, that's a place I want to be. You know, unless our values are so skewed that we just can't come to concord, I am really excited when people are living their truth because if they make a mistake, it's genuinely a mistake. It doesn't come from some place of trying to take advantage. And it's, it's become, it's always been important for me to live that way, but understanding that that's actually something that I detect when I, when I'm spending time with other people. And that's important. There's a lot of ways to be on the planet and we have to decide which ones we want to support and the people we want to spend time with professionally, personally, however that plays out. Authenticity and integrity are critically important. Um, I, I always remember something I heard Seth Godin say once and that was, um, I'm not for everybody and that's okay. So recognising that not everybody is going to like you, yeah. how you do business, your products or services, etc. Mm -hmm. But it, it's about finding enough people that do like what you do and that your values and how you do business resonates with them and, and focusing on, on them. Well, the, the, we live in the 21st century which means that on some level we have access to 7 billion other human beings. Is it 7 billion, 7 and a half? I don't uh, even know. Uh, More than I could count in a lifetime. <laughs> which, and I only need how many people to be effectively contributing? Yeah, not a lot. To be, to be of service? And, and the exponential value of the person that I help goes to help other people. If I unlock somebody's, you know, somebody's special thing, if, if, if our coaching relationship ignites them to go do that thing, I can have that impact exponentially but it's still only a matter of I don't have to convince everybody and I, I'm it's not even that they won't like me there are plenty of people who I love what they're doing I love the way they are but their offer isn't something I need or there's somebody else who's, whose way of being I prefer and I can wish them well I can even support them it doesn't even have to be antagonistic it's just we don't all need to work with everybody yeah. and that's the best news possible the best <laughs> news possible so I want to circle around, circle back around to something that you said earlier about clarity. Mm. So I, I wonder why is it that human beings often find it so hard to see that clarity? We sort of skirted around that a bit before. What, what's your take on that? It's really interesting. I think it might boil down to one simple neurological truth, and that is that your brain has one job. Your brain's job is to prove to you that you prove to the world that you are sane and that you are right. And that's why all of this positive thinking and all of these things come back to this sense that your brain, whatever you tell your brain is important, it believes you. And so if you tell your brain that this current way things are is the only way it can be, how is your brain going to get around that? So it's really hard for us to get past our brain's attempts to protect us and to, to help us. I also think that we have, we have needs. You know, once you're breathing and you have food and water and shelter, I think our, our deepest, I personally believe, our deepest, deepest need is significance. And we all measure it differently. You know, for a parent, it's that loving look from the child when they've done that, like, amazing 
judo parenting thing they just did or with the ceo it might be when she's standing at the stock exchange ringing the bell significance we define what significance is but i think we have in common that we need it and when we when we take a risk and to be clear when you're looking clarity means you're seeing a vision of what isn't and you're yearning in that direction and in order to take that step you have to risk your significance you have to be the only person who can see this thing and go and talk about it to people who think you're not really on the right track, even people who love you. So there's a risk in having clarity. You know, when it, when it shows up, clarity doesn't exist just for itself. It's a catalyst for action. Often you don't even know you got clarity until you look around and realize you've been in motion for a little while. That's when you know you got clarity. It's very rare that you say, oh, now I'm completely clear. Now I'm going to go act. It's a process, and it's jet fuel. It's not it's like a window. <laughs> right. So it, it, can, it can propel you in a very nerve-wracking and dangerous direction. So, you know, so much of what we get angry with our brains for is really just our brain protecting us. And I, I think one of the best ways to handle that is to thank our brain and say, you know, thank you. Thank you, me, for protecting me. But I am going to choose to make the, take this risk. I am going to choose to pursue this, this avenue of thought that's going to lead to seeing something we currently can't see. I think we have to honor it. We can't, we can't make it the enemy. So many of us are in, at war with our own safety systems, and that's, that's counterproductive. But that's, that's why we have a hard time with clarity. And we have a hard time seeing our stuff. We need somebody else who can say, well, you know, from where I'm sitting... We need teams. We need, we need a coach. We need valued friends who are willing to stand there and say, I have no idea what you're talking about, but I love you and I know you can do this. We need, we need those people to, to allow us to, to move into that space where it's clear, but it's a little bit dangerous. Mm. So, so th that sounds like some of the things that you recognize um, hold people back from what they want to achieve in their business and life. Well, what other sorts of things do you see in your experiences with coaching people uh, that, that are just like the little tweaks that, that maybe they didn't see in themselves that can just unlock their potential? Yeah, absolutely. Clarity is only clarity, like I said, if it's, if, it, if it's sparking action. You know, so you can sit and think and think and think. And I, I'm a big advocate for deep thought and spending time thinking. If you don't kick it into gear, it doesn't go anywhere. It's, it's really the, it's that significance piece. It's being willing to risk taking an action and making a mistake taking an action and being exposed, like sticking, I always picture like, um, we have prairie dogs here in the United States. So they, they sit in these huge warren uh, areas where there's little holes everywhere. And if you stick your head out of one of them, you're in danger. An owl swoops down, takes you, whatever. You have to have the courage to stick your head up and look around. That takes courage because it, you are on some level placing yourself in danger. So comfortable with discomfort, uh, calculated risk, knowing that there's ways to mitigate the very serious risks, but you have to take action. You have to, you have to take action. So it's this, it's this perceive and then do. That's why the fourth part of the design cycle is implementation. It's, it's pursue. You have to go and actually do it because that's where the real learning happens for the next time around. That's where the thing gets built. All, that it, all the stuff that happens to prepare is so important, but it's only important 
because you're going to take an action. If you're preparing and you skip the action and you go through another cycle of preparing, you haven't actually done it. So, yeah, the, kicking it into gear and being ready to be uncomfortable, you know, finding ways to be comfortable with that. So you mentioned the four phases or the four cycles? Four phases of the cycle. So I... Uh, your process? I reinterpreted the design cycle in, in terms of clarity design. And the four phases are provoke. Something shows up that is either a challenge or an opportunity. You might provoke it. External forces might provoke it. But now there's a need for change. So the first thing you do is you perceive. What is my relationship to what's possible? What, uh, how, are my, how is my language supporting my ability to change? How is my body supporting my ability to change? How is my relationship with my emotions? And what are my resources? And what are the obstacles really? And honestly, what am I solving for? That's when you decide what the real experiment is. Then you go from perceive to prepare. And that's where you prep the path for success. You build the team. You do the beta test. You do the research, you do the brainstorming. Brainstorming is actually a part of the prepare, prepare phase because that's where you start to ideate and decide what, what the possibilities would look like for implementation. And then you go into pursue. You start to implement. And at the end of pursue, there is that provoke because now you're moving back through the cycle again and you're saying, okay, well, what was provoked by what we learned going through this whole cycle? And it's a lather, rinse, repeat. It's, it's, how, it's how humans learn. And if we take a deliberate stance and pay attention to that, then we can make sure that we're hitting all of the, all of the points that make it really effective to do that. And, and I'm imagining for some of your clients, it might be you help them in to implement that process and then they can rinse and repeat like yeah. on other things. Or there might be clients who, who just want to uh, have you as a resource, run their ideas and, and get some, some clarity Absolutely. I mean, I have people who engage me for one part of that cycle. They want an accountability partner. They're ready to pursue, and they want somebody who's helping them fine-tune as they're doing it. Uh, there are people that there's this sense that something's calling them out of the mist, and they're just in the, in the, the transition between provoke and prepare. They're just figuring this out, and they want somebody to help them lay that, 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 that groundwork. So absolutely, it's it's. I don't always talk about the design cycle, but it shows up in the work. It, it definitely shows up in the work. And it's, you know, one hour at a time. What's on your mind right now that affects this larger arc of what you're trying to learn or solve for? And plugging that into where are you on this, on this path? It's, yeah, any or all of the pieces. Because, because I said, it's, it's life. It's, it's this constant cycle that we're in, whether we recognize it and take ownership of the pieces or not. Mm. So, look, we need to wrap up, but, you know, I'm pretty confident we could probably talk for another couple of hours. <laughs> um, and I know you have clients you mentioned all around the world, but I also know here in Australia you do have a number of clients. So uh, for anybody who's enjoyed the conversation and maybe wants to, um, you know, have a, a, a bit of a look at, at what you can do and, and maybe consider reaching out and having a conversation to see if, if you're a fit um, you know, what type of resources or programs do you have? Sure, absolutely. Well, the first thing that I would suggest you do is visit my website at bullwhisper.com 
and you can use the contact form. I would love to have a conversation with anybody who's interested in just pursuing the possibility. What what might be of, of use to you right now for moving moving the needle on where you are in the design cycle? And uh, also, at the same time, on that website, if you want to sign up, I put out an article every week. Uh, there's 60-some articles on the website. Please sign up. Let's continue the conversation, and I'd love to be sending you those little insights and hearing back from you about what you think. Uh, it's definitely an ongoing conversation. And just so you know, when it's your time and you're in your day, I'm in yesterday. So if you want to do over, you can call me in yesterday because <laughs> I'm on the other side of the planet. <laughs> and you can call me in yesterday, and we can do a do-over, and you can let me know what my tomorrow is going to look like. <laughs> Hilarious. Jennifer, thanks so very much for your time today and for your insights, uh, particularly you. on making bigger promises to scarier people. I love that concept and challenging ourselves. Uh, for those watching or listening, thank you so much for joining us on this Expert Insights episode. Until next time, this is Australian productivity and technology expert Donna Hansen. Have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Expert Insights Show. If you've enjoyed the show, why not subscribe via the podcast page on www.donnahanson.com.au or through iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn or Stitcher. Until next time, as Donna says, don't forget to work smarter and not harder with technology.